This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. Welcome back to Worth Recovery, a podcast featuring women and sex addiction. My name is Amy. I'm your host here, and uh, I'm a sex addict, and I've been sober since December 2nd of 2012, and I am super excited to be back with you for another episode today. We're going to continue our work on the 12 steps of recovery. Uh, I reintroduced step 10. I introduced, I shouldn't say reintroduced, because that's what I'm going to do today. I introduced step 10, I don't know, maybe six weeks ago. And we started talking about what that step actually meant. And how, and then in our, which will be our next episode, we're going to actually talk about how we work that step in our lives. But today I want to um, look at the third part of step 10. So first of all, step 10 reads and tells us, we continued, not we, just continued. Step 10, continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. So in part one of this series on step 10, we talked about just the beginning word of, of that step, continued. And the need for a new lifestyle in this work. When we enter the step, when we enter recovery and we do step work, it's not just a temporary thing. It's not just a, we do it outside, quote, like outside of our normal life. But this way of life continues within us and it becomes the way that we interact with the world all of the time. And so we talked in that first episode about the word continued and what it is we need to continue to do and why we need to continue to do this work. And then in the second part of step 10, we talked about the second part of the steps, and that is personal inventory. Uh, The step reads, continue to take personal inventory. And we talked about what exactly does that mean? What exactly is personal inventory? An inventory of what exactly? And how and when do we kind of do some of that personal inventory work? And so that's what we talked about in the second part of this step. And today, in part three, we're going to talk about when we were wrong, we promptly admitted it. That's the end of this step. Again, the step reads, continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. So we're going to start with that piece. So I'm going to start by, I've got three readings for you today, just about this whole idea of when we were wrong and promptly admitting it. So we're going to start with the AA Big Book. Um, I am on page 84 of the big book and at the bottom I just love this part that it says um, so this is the bottom of the page a little bit into where it starts talking about step 10 Uh, it says the last paragraph reads and we have ceased fighting anything or anyone even alcohol for by this time sanity will have returned I love that idea that we have ceased fighting anything and anyone, Um, even alcohol, it says. Because if you think about it, when do we fight? 
when do we fight? When do you fight with someone? I have found as I was trans, as I was thinking about this, um, reflecting on this, that's the word I was looking for. I have found that we fight when we are trying to be right. I fight when I want to be right about something. Or maybe I fight because I am right about something and the other person's wrong but won't admit it. But usually fighting has to do with this whole concept of wanting to be right. When we cease fighting, we give up the idea that we always need to be right. And we even acknowledge and embrace the idea that we will be wrong. After all, and many people talk about this, the step reads when we were wrong, not if we were wrong, right? The step doesn't say if we're wrong, we promptly admit it. The step says when we are wrong, we promptly admit it because we're going to be wrong. And so the concept of ceasing to fight means that we quit giving, we quit having to fight about being right. We give up the idea that we need to always be right. Let me try to tell you a story to maybe illustrate this. So I remember sitting at a retreat. I was pretty early in recovery. Um, I want to say like within my first two years for sure. Um, I was sitting on, I was sitting in a retreat and someone was sharing. It was a big group and it was a group. It was kind of like a group share and someone was sharing and they clearly said something that was absolutely like against program. Right. And it was very clear. There was like no mistaking. I don't remember what it was or I would tell you, but there was no mistaking that what they said was totally against what the program taught, stood for, all of it, right? And at this particular meeting, like I said, it was a large meeting. I knew a lot of the old timers because I had been attending meetings with them. And so I knew who they were. And afterwards, I waited for the correction to come. <laughs> I waited for... I mean, it didn't happen during the meeting, but I thought, okay, after the meeting, for sure, they're going to correct this new guy and tell him, like, you can't say that. Like, that's against program. That's, you know, not how we work here. And you've, you know, you need to make an amends. You need to apologize. And I was waiting to see how they did that because I had ha experienced that in my own meetings. And I wanted to know, like, how do we handle that? What do we say, right? And I figured these old timers, they would for sure know how to handle that better than me because they'd been doing it for years. And so I waited and just kind of watched, hoping to see this like loving correction happen so that I could model myself and my behavior after them. And I waited in vain. It didn't happen. It didn't happen at all. In fact, as this, you know, after, as the meeting concluded, uh, these old timers approached this young man um, who had said this like wrong thing and they embraced him and they hugged him and they all said in their own way, like, keep coming back, keep coming back, like, keep coming back. And they just kind of said that and just were so loving and so encouraging to this uh, young gentleman who was clearly struggling in a lot of different things. Now, my perfectionist self, right? So like internally, I was having none of that, none of that. And I remember asking my sponsor about it. And I think she was sitting there with me or maybe it was just later and I explained the situation. But I remember asking her like, why didn't they fix it? Like, why didn't they correct him? Like, what's that about? And her saying, well, that term, keep coming back, is what old timers say to people 
um, because they have given up the the drive or the need to be right all of the time. And so, yeah, they know that this person's wrong, but they probably also know that fighting with this person is not going to help them themselves or this new person who was clearly struggling. And if they keep coming back, they'll learn what program actually is and they'll learn what needs to actually happen. And so the encouragement and the idea is we just keep coming back, she said. And that really had a profound impact on me because, again, I, um, I, one of the things I struggle with is, a, is being perfectionist and I need things to be right and I need to be right and I need people to be right and we need to do things according to the right guidelines, right? I mean, like I have a problem with that, clearly. Um, and so my perfectionist self in this moment was like, I'm having none of this. And yet what a profound lesson about this idea that we quit fighting. We quit fighting. There was no need. If these old timers had gone up to this young man and been like, oh, let me pull you aside and tell you, by the way, what you're doing is not right. Like, I wonder what would have happened. They probably would have, maybe this guy would have never come back. Maybe there would have been a struggle. Maybe he would have felt the need to push back on them and to tell them that he was right. I mean, it could have gone really wrong. And as I sat there and was reflecting on that and thinking about that lesson, I thought back to the time that I showed up at a retreat, my very first retreat, and I shared at a early bird meeting. And afterwards, I had a couple different people come up to me and say, oh, just keep coming back. Keep coming back. Keep coming back. You're going to keep doing this. You're going to be awesome at it. And I realized I, I make mistakes, right? I say things that might clearly be off program. And rather than come and fight with me about it, someone just said, keep coming back. And I did. I kept coming back. And I learned what program was. I learned how 12-step fellowships work. I learned how recovery works. I learned all sorts of things because I kept coming back. And, and it was just been a profound lesson for me in my own life. Step 10, this whole idea of when we were wrong, we promptly admitted it. A big piece of this, the big book tells us, is that we quit fighting. We quit fighting and quit that need to be right all of the time. Now, it's not, it's not easy, right? And there's lots of, of things that we have to do in order to quit fighting. Um, there's lots of new avenues, new ideas that we have to think about. And there's a lot of self-evaluation, personal inventory, um, and self-reflection that has to happen in order for us to quit fighting and to give up this need to be right. Okay, let's, let's talk about our next reading that's going to help us understand this idea a little bit more. So this is from the SLAA book, um, and it is on page 97. We're talking about step 10, and it says, The simple truth was that when our own spiritual condition was less than solid, everyone around us seemed to be, quote, sick, with a malice which, upon reflection, was remarkably like our own. Regardless, we had to conclude that it was silly and futile to let ourselves be upset at what we saw as diseased actions by others, 
especially if we hoped that others would continue to be tolerant of our own frequent lapses into dishonesty or manipulative behavior. When we found ourselves getting bound up, we strove hard to flag our own frailty, to label it, understand it, and forgive ourselves for having it. And it was important not to entertain the idea that we could save face with others by keeping our knowledge of these day-to-day -day struggles going on within us, ourselves, a secret. I love this paragraph for a few reasons. It talks about the concept of projection. This idea that I look around and I see that everyone else is, quote, sick, right? When I reflect upon their behavior, I realize that their behavior is remarkably like my own, it says. And that idea of projection of what I see as wrong within myself, I tend to project onto other people. I take my own story and make it their story. Um, a lot of times when we're you know, wanting to be right um, or we need to be right, then we look around and we see people say things and we're like, oh, they just want to be right. Well, that has to do with us just wanting to be right. And so we kind of project that onto other people. And then I love this ending part where they say, like, if if we want people to be tolerant of us, we need to be tolerant of other people and not not fight with other people and not continue to need to be correct or need to be right all of the time. Uh, the next reading I want to do, I guess I had four. I think I told you three. My bad. Sorry. Uh, the next reading I want to do is from the SAA book. And I think this, oh man, this is probably one of my favorite readings ever about step 10 and this idea of being wrong because we're going to be wrong, right? We have to quit fighting about it, <laughs> quit fighting about being right and accept that we're going to be wrong and to understand what exactly that means. And so this is a reading, it's on page 54. So this is the green book, the SAA book. It starts on page 54 at the top. So there's four paragraphs. I'm gonna read one and then stop and then read one and stop, etc. You get it. It isn't always easy to know when we've been wrong. We may not discover the truth about our behavior until later. When we review our day as part of our 10th step, we find ourselves recognizing actions and emotions that we weren't completely aware of at the time. With practice, we learn how to recognize how we are feeling in the moment. We gradually learn to listen to the quiet, gentle voice of our conscience and to notice from within when something feels wrong. As we continue to take personal inventory, we begin to notice our mistakes and hurtful behaviors more quickly. What I love about this paragraph is the idea that we can, this is a learned behavior, right? They recognize, we can learn how to recognize how we are feeling in the moment. I know for me as an addict, one of the things that was really difficult was understanding my emotions in the moment. I had become so used to numbing them or not dissociating, that wasn't my problem with my emotions, compartmentalizing, that's the word I'm looking for. Um, I had become so used to compartmentalizing my own emotions um, and kind of separating the action from the emotion. And so in the moment, I didn't know how I felt. In the moment, I couldn't give you answers. In the moment, I really struggled to describe what was going on for me. That was something that recovery has taught me. And I love that this paragraph kind of calls that out. You can learn as well what it feels like to be wrong. 
I did so many wrong actions without actually feeling the emotion until much later. But I can learn in the moment. It's a learned behavior. I can learn it, how to do it in the moment. And I love that paragraph. Okay, the next paragraph says, sometimes our wrongs may carry significant harm to others as when we lie, cheat, or act out of anger. We don't need to seriously harm someone though in order to be wrong. In fact, our less severe wrongs are often more, far more, sorry, our less severe wrongs are often far more pervasive and difficult to recognize. We may forget or be late to appointments, make thoughtless comments, break promises or twist the truth, not follow through on commitments or test other people's boundaries. Over time, we become better at seeing and admitting the influence of our character defects on all aspects of our behavior. Okay, you got to like love and hate that paragraph at the same time. Being wrong isn't always necessarily about a specific really harmful behavior like lying, cheating, or acting out of anger. Um, there are a lot of things that are less serious. And I love that they give us a list of things to start to consider. Um, forgetting or being late to appointments, making thoughtless comments, breaking promises, twisting the truth, not following through on commitments, testing other people's boundaries. Um, those are all definitely things that I have struggled with and continue to struggle with as I work on my own recovery. Um, and so... I love that there's a list here for us to think about of some of those ideas of where we might be wrong. And again, these are areas also in my life I know where I can fight a lot um, because I want to be right. And, and so I can fight and say, well, I was late because blah, 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 blah. Well, you know, probably 99% of the time that reason's not really justifiable. It's just about me being thoughtless or not planning enough time. Um, or not following through on commitments, right? Um, that's something that I struggled with and continue to struggle with in recovery. Okay, next paragraph. When we recognize our error, we promptly admit it. First, we admit it to ourselves, which means letting go of defensiveness and the desire to be right at all costs. Next, we may admit it to our sponsor or other support people, especially if we need help in sorting out our amends and to our higher power in prayer. Finally, we admit it to those affected by our behavior and make any amends that are necessary. In some cases, we may need to approach our amends as carefully as we did in step nine and offer reparation if appropriate. Often, however, we don't need to do more than simply acknowledge our wrongdoing to the affected person. So my favorite part of that paragraph is this whole idea of letting go of defensiveness and the desire to be right at all costs. I was uh, recently on a family get-together, at a family get-together, and we were talking about something. I don't even remember exactly what we were talking about, but I remember sitting there and watching my brother, um, like, literally, it looked like he was, like, building his defensives, right? Like, finding a place of defense where he could defend his position. I can't even really explain it, but... He was so defended in what he wanted to say and had to say that there was no room in his life for a differing opinion, um, for even like for dissension, you know, for someone to, dissension's a strong word, for someone to disagree, um, for someone to even have a different perspective. There was no room at all 
for that. And as I watched that happen and play out, I remember thinking to myself, how sad is that? And what has happened to him in his life that he is so defended all of the time? And that's the question I really started to think about is what has happened to create this place where he has to live in this defended area and position all the time, that desire to be right. I think a lot of things can happen to us that put us in that place where we are defended. We are we are backed in the corner and we've got like walls up and we are not coming out and we need to be right and our position needs to be correct. And one of the things that step 10 calls us to do is to step out of the fortress and to quit being so defended and defensive um, about our own thoughts, opinions, and beliefs, and be more accepting um, of those of others, for sure. Okay, last paragraph from the SAA book says, whatever our wrongs, our promptness in admitting them is essential to the success of this step. The longer we wait to make amends for even minor wrongs, the greater the chance that the situation will worsen. Even more importantly, the longer we wait, the greater the risk to our serenity. Admitting our wrongs as soon as possible helps keep shame and regrets from building up inside us and allows us to more quickly regain our peace of mind. So in the moment, as quickly as possible, we make our amends. In the moment, we say, oh man, I'm sorry, that was wrong. That, um, you know, that, that right there can be easy, so much easier than waiting to have to circle back around it later. If we can do it right in the moment, we can correct it without it becoming a big deal, without it causing additional problems for us or without it causing additional problems for others. I know one of the things that I have had to get like super rigorously honest about and work step 10 is the idea of reciting conversations. So, so a lot of times early in my, well, not early, let's just say a lot of times in my life, most of my life, um, I was not good at coming up with things to say in the moment to respond to people, right? Um, I wasn't good at feeling my own emotions in the moment. So, of course, I wasn't good at reading necessarily what I needed to say or what I could say or what was going on. Uh, but then later, when I would recount that conversation to people that I knew, friends, things like that, I would add in things that I wished I would have said right? And I would have been like, I said, blah, blah, blah. Or, I said this and I said that. And he was, you know, and I would tell it in a way that included these things that I wish I would have said, but that I really didn't say, right? I really didn't say. And I remember talking to some people about it, my therapist included, and a few others, and just being like, I, I've got to stop doing that. Like, that's not being honest. I need to be honest and I don't want to lie to people, nor do I want people to get an impression about me that isn't necessarily true. Um, and so I had to start correcting those things. And so in the moment, right, <laughs> I wouldn't say it. And later on, I had to go back and say, I really didn't say that 
you know, thing to my boss, or I didn't really say that to this woman, or I didn't, you know, I didn't really say that. And I had to start getting really honest and holding myself really accountable to that. And now I've gotten to the point where in the moment, while I'm recounting the conversation to my friends or to other people, I can say things like, well, I didn't say that. I wish I would have said that, right? But I didn't say that in the moment. Or, I, you know, looking back on it now, I wish I would have said this or I wish I would have done that. And I can be more honest about what I am doing and what I'm not doing, what I wish I was doing, what I wish I was saying. But that took some time and that took some discipline on my part. And that's one of those areas where I was wrong. Um, and the more promptly, the more prompt I was at admitting it, the less problems it caused for myself and for others. The last reading I have for you today is from the essay white book. It's on page 130. I'm just going to read a few sentences here because I think that there's an important lesson here that we need to think about. It says, there is something wrong. Oh, the heading. I love the heading. It says sober is not well. Sober is not well. Sober is just the beginning. And I love this heading um, and then this paragraph. It says, there is something wrong with the person who cannot make a straight, honest, unequivocal amends. If this is true of us, we suspect it is because we are not fully surrendered. That attitude of self-obsession underlying our spiritual illness still lingers. And most of us fit into this category. We are as powerless over this inability to make a clean amends as we ever were over lust, sex, or dependency. That's why we have to do it, because it doesn't come naturally. We don't feel like making the amends, but we do it, and the feelings follow. If we find we are not yet willing to make the amends, we go back to steps one, two, and three, admit our powerlessness, surrender our pride, and cast ourselves onto, onto God and others for help. So I think that's an important thing to remember um, as we look at this step and this whole concept of taking personal inventory and when we're wrong, promptly admit it. If we're not willing or not able or don't feel capable of making a straightforward, unequivocal amends about our behavior, then it's probably because we are not surrendered. Uh, it's because we're still fighting. It's because we are still holding on to our own pride or our idea that we can be right. Maybe because we've worked our steps outside of our normal life, like quote, quote, outside, quote, unquote, outside of our normal lives. And we haven't integrated these principles into all of our affairs. And so as we get to step 10, it's important that we understand that we need to be able to quickly say, my bad, I'm sorry. Um, I, I understand that what I did hurt you. That's not, you know, that wasn't my intent, but I know that that was the impact, right? Or we do something wrong at work and we just own it and say, oh man, I'm sorry. I thought I had another day to do that deadline or I missed that deadline, whatever it is, right? Um, if we lie about something, we go back and say, you know what? I, I lied about this. I, I'm sorry, we don't have to give excuses. We don't have to give reasons. We just need to say that we were wrong and admit it. And then we also need to give up this idea of being right, that I have to be right all of the time, that other people can be right. 
Um, and in that process, accept the idea that I will be wrong, right? Again, the step says when we were wrong, not if we were wrong. So to conclude these ideas today, I just want to offer my experience, strength, and hope around step 10, just with four things to think about and consider for yourself, okay? One, we can learn to feel what is wrong again. We can. We can learn. It's a learned behavior. We can train ourselves to feel what's wrong and to feel our emotions in the moment, in the heat of the action. We don't have to wait until afterwards. And so we can work on it. It can get better. Uh, two, we have to stop fighting in order to allow this step to work in our lives. We have to stop feeling that need. <coughs> we have to stop feeling that need or that compulsion to be right all of the time. We have to step out of our defenses. We have to stop being so defended and so closed in our position. The problem with being defended is you're so closed in your position that you're not willing to look at other people's lives and you're not being very empathetic when that happens. Um, I definitely have been that way in my life. Uh, I feel like I was told I was wrong for so long that, or what I, I was gaslit for so long um, that I had to really learn how to be less defensive. So we have to stop fighting and allow ourselves to be human. Uh, number three is that we are perfectly imperfect, to borrow Brene Brown's phrase. We're going to be wrong. We're going to make mistakes. And part of this step 10 is where we join the human race and say, we are perfectly imperfect and we are going to make mistakes. And that doesn't make us any less worthy or any less valuable. And we're just going to do what we can to correct them as quickly as possible and move on and let it go, right? We are perfectly imperfect. And that's awesome because that's how we are. That's who we are. And if we continue to fight that, then we're fighting again, right? We don't need to fight. We can quit fighting. And last... If you cannot make a clean or prompt amends, then you have some work to do. You might not be fully surrendered. And that work can take a lot of different forms. Um, for me, I know there are some times in my life right now where I, I've done something wrong and I don't want to go back and I don't want to make it right. And as I reflect on that, I realize it's because I still have some resentment towards that person or I still have some anger towards that person that I need to work through or work on. Or sometimes it's, I justify it because I know that they're doing something wrong to me. So it's like tit for tat. It's not about cleaning up my side of the street or my own spiritual condition. It's about tit for tat. And again, that usually happens when I had some expectations or I feel hurt by that person. And maybe there's some forgiveness that needs to happen. Or maybe it's just because I feel so defended. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to tell them I'm wrong because if I do tell them I'm wrong, then they shove that in my face all of the time, right? So it means I have some work to do. Maybe there's some pride I need to work through. Maybe I need to forgive other people. Maybe I have some grief and loss. Maybe I have some anger. Whatever it is. Maybe maybe I'm in that. Maybe I shouldn't be in that relationship. 
and I'm still holding on too long. And so when it's my turn to say, oh, I was wrong and I don't want to, that's a clue to me that maybe this relationship, whatever it is, friendship, you know, partner, whatever kind of relationship it is, maybe, maybe this isn't really working for me and I need to reevaluate what's going on. But sober is not well, like it tells us. And if we can't make an amends, then we need to really think about where we're at in our life and what that is telling us about where we're at in our lives. Okay, I hope that that was helpful for you today to talk about when we were wrong, we promptly admitted it. Step 10 is an incredibly powerful step. Um, It's really this big transition between cleaning up the past, steps one through nine, and then how I'm going to live and continue today, 10 through 12. How does that lay out the course of action for my daily life that really starts to move me into living in the present? And that's what step 10 is all about, living in the present and taking care of things as they come up. So I hope that today you will continue to take personal inventory and when you're wrong, you'll promptly admit it because I'm going to work on that today too. Uh, We've got one more episode on step 10, uh, which will come out next week and we'll talk about how we work step 10. What is that? What can that look like uh, in our lives and what... What, can, what personal inventory can do for us. So we will continue that way. I hope that you remember no matter what's going on in your life right now, no matter how far you think you've gone, no matter how you feel about your life right now in this very moment, I want you to know that you are worth recovery. 100% worth recovery. I know that. And if you don't, you can just trust me until you do. I think about you, I pray for you, and I love you. Until next time, Amy. stuff. The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.